episode 849. Following a season-opening win, the Green Bay Packers made a couple roster moves heading into week two. We get reaction from Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caribou, and today we're reacting to the week one win over the Seahawks and looking forward to week two against the Atlanta Falcons. To do that, we feature a interview this morning with Nathan Yankee of ProFootballFocus.com as he does every Wednesday on the show. Enjoy our expert interview. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time, okay? Right now on Railbird Central, we're talking to Pro Football Focus's Nathan Yankee for his weekly appearance on the show. Nathan, welcome back. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Very good. We're glad to have you on the show, Nathan, as always. And we got to talk about these roster moves the Packers made on Tuesday. They parted ways with Ladarius Gunter, who is their number one cornerback as recently as last year's NFC Championship game. So my question to you, Nathan, did the play of guys like Josh Hawkins and Lindsey Pipkins make Ladarius Gunter expendable? I think it did. I think it was a case of um, he fell down to the fifth spot on the depth chart. He played the fifth most snaps this past weekend. And typically you want your fifth cornerback to do a lot on special teams. So uh, while both of those guys did well at cornerback in the preseason, I think what they were doing on special teams in the preseason as well uh, helped uh, make that decision. Since Gunter in the, pre- in the preseason only played 28 special team snaps and um, in the Last game, it was only on the punt return unit that he was in uh, for special teams plays, while Josh Hawkins played 39 preseason special team snaps. Um, a lot of those were at Vice and Gunner, which are uh, two of the more important positions on special teams, and uh, Gunter really doesn't have as much experience there. And then Pipkin similarly uh, saw a lot of special team snaps in the preseason, not quite as much, but he saw a lot more at Gunner and Vice, so... I wouldn't be surprised if they decided they don't need Gunter so they can put one of these other guys in that fifth spot so then they get more um, better special teams play out of everyone. Yeah, uh, perhaps the Packers see a high ceiling on a young guy like Lindsey Pipkins too as uh, he continues his development. But Nathan, the Packers also reportedly released defensive lineman Ricky Jean-Francois on Tuesday. That's according to Adam Schefter of ESPN. Was there anything in the preseason or week one that indicated they might release him? I think this is simply a case of he's fallen too far down the depth chart at a position where the Packers don't need a ton of depth. Um, If there is anything, it's in the passing game. Uh, This is a passing league, and in the preseason, he only managed one pressure. And then on just five pass rushes in this last game, he didn't have any pressures. So um, Daniels, Clark, and Lowry are clearly ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, the league is evolving. Uh, teams are playing nickel more and more often. The Packers have been ahead of the curve there a little bit these past few years and continue to be uh, played over 80% of their snaps in their dime defense, which is something that both them and the Patriots did in week one. So 
Uh, you only really need two defensive linemen on the field. Daniels, you don't want to take off the field very often. So um, I think Ricky could have been could have been an asset in the run game after Packers played more base defense, but I think he's a luxury that they probably don't need right now. And if anything, it's probably either a good sign for Adam's health or that they liked what they've seen out of Dial this past week now that he's been on the team. Well, I had to start with the roster moves, but of course, Nathan, I want to talk about the game that recently transpired, the Packers' season opening win. And of course, Mike Daniels had a great week. Um, Did he make Pro Football Focus's team of the week? And how did he stack up against the rest of the defensive tackles in the league? He had an excellent game. He was our highest graded interior defensive lineman, whether you're looking at three, four defensive linemen or four, three defensive tackles, uh, both with great play as a pass rusher and then the run defense. Uh, He had two sacks, two hits and one hurry, which included the forced fumble in there. Uh, Pass rushing productivity of 17.7, which was second best for all three, four defensive ends this past week. And then against the run, uh, he had four run stops on just 14 run plays. Uh, which was second best again for all three, four defensive ends. And then um, he uh, was disruptive on a couple more plays, even when he wasn't the one that was finishing off a play. So basically one out of every three snaps Seattle was on offense. Daniels was doing something to hurt the Seahawks offense. So uh, that's excellent to see out of a defensive lineman. Yeah, uh, I have nothing to add. Uh, he, he was dominating and played really well. Um, Nathan, it appeared to me that the Packers relied heavily on both Daniels and Kenny Clark, his his line mate there, pretty heavily. I was wondering, did he play Clark? I mean, uh, did he play a career-high number of snaps, and how did he fare? It was not a career-high total number of snaps. He played 37, which was only third most for him in his career. But if you look at percentages, the Packers dominated time of possession, so... Uh, Seattle only had 49 offensive snaps, so uh, Clark was on the field 75% of the time the Packers were on defense, and that percentage was a career high for him. Got it. Um, In the time that he was on the field, uh, he was fairly average. Uh, He had a hurry and a batted pass. Both of those were pretty impressive. Um, And then in the run, Justin Britt, who was Seattle's best offensive lineman, uh, got the best out of him a little bit, so uh, maybe not quite as impressive as he was late last year, but... Uh, definitely a performance that Packers can live with. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully he just gets better. Um, Nathan, uh, you kind of allude to the dime package before the Packers went with their nitro, uh, what they call their nitro package, a good amount of time with Morgan Burnett at linebacker. I'm wondering how he did and whether the Packers would be better off with someone else playing that position, whether that's a true linebacker or another safety. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there and getting your thoughts on this. Sure. I'd say uh, Burnett had a pretty similar game. He was fairly average, not too much great, not too much terrible. Um, He had a couple nice plays against Jimmy Graham, including a pass breakup and two good tackles. Uh, on Graham after the catch. Uh, He did allow a first down. Uh, Could have allowed a little bit more in the past game had the Seahawks receivers made a little bit better plays. But overall, we've probably seen better play out of Burnett over the past couple years, but definitely not a terrible performance. And as for um, if Burnett should be the guy that's playing in the box so often, um, I could see if they flipped him and haha Clinton Dix, we probably see similar kind of play. But um, if the Packers were playing a team that played or ran the ball a bit more, I think we'd see a little bit more nickel defense with Jake Ryan in there. But 
definitely when a team's passing the ball a lot, and I think the Packers respected Russell Wilson in this one. Um, when it's a passing situation, I think having the dime defense where three safeties are on the field is the right way to go. A lot of defensive questions, but I want to skip to the offensive side of the football now. Uh, Nathan, how did Kyle Murphy grade out in his first career start? And for comparison's sake, can you tell us how Brian Balaga graded out last season just to kind of compare him? I thought Kyle Murphy played very well for his first start. Uh, he allowed a couple pressures in the game, but they were all plays where he at least uh, held his block for a little bit of time before allowing the pressure. So nothing too terrible there. A little mix of good and bad in the run game, but typically for an offensive tackle, when you have a mix, that's doing well. Uh, definitely, I don't think there were any plays that really stood out in this game where you would point to it and say, that was excellent or that was terrible. So um, when you have that for an offensive lineman and considering the opponent he was going up against, I'd say that's pretty impressive. So um, on a per play basis, I'd say he was doing better than Bulaga was last season. But it's rare to see a tackle play as well as Murphy did every single week. So if Murphy does have to play more time, I'm guessing he would be about the same as Bulaga if he continues playing well. That's good to hear. Um, Nathan, it's my opinion that while Ty Montgomery's statistics this past Sunday were fairly pedestrian, I know he averaged only 2.8 yards per carry, I thought he played better than maybe the statistics might indicate. Do you think that's fair? Uh, sure. Even if you're just looking specifically at the run game, uh, the 2.8 yards per carry doesn't sound good, but yards per carry fluctuates a ton based on if you're able to break one or two long runs or not, where Montgomery at most ran for eight yards in this one. But on a lot of those carries, he was doing at least one thing right to start off with, making a good cut or something here and there, just was never able to break a really long run. And then when you throw in what he did outside of the run game, I think he did have an impressive performance. Um, he had four nice catches, and a lot of the times when he was making those catches, he was able to make one or two guys miss. So definitely impressive there. And then he was asked to stay in to block 12 times, which is more than we ever saw him stay in as a pass blocker last year. And those snaps all went well. So overall, I'd say it was a good performance, even if it was the pass game that he was more impressive in than the run. Yeah, that's a good point with the pass protection. <laughs> the Packers didn't want him doing that last year, and they clearly feel a lot more comfortable doing it this time around. Um, Nathan, big game on Sunday. Uh, the Falcons are coming off a closer-than-expected win over the Bears, which I thought was a little bit surprising. So tell me, wh which matchups are the biggest ones to watch uh, on Sunday Night Football? Sure, the Falcons have a ton of great players on offense, so basically anyone there. Matt Ryan did have... A little bit of a poor game for himself on Sunday, but I'm guessing he'll bounce back. But probably the most interesting thing I'm looking for is what the Packers do with Jordy Nelson. Uh, typically, he lines up on the offense's right side a bit more than he lines up on the left. Against Seattle, it was the opposite of that since they were trying to avoid him being against Richard Sherman, which is something we've seen the Packers do against Sherman in the past. And the Falcons have Desmond Trufant, who's one of the league's great cornerbacks, and like Sherman, Trufant just stays on the left side, doesn't track very often, um, just stays on the one side. So I'll be curious to see if the Packers do something similar with Jordy where they try to avoid that matchup with Trufant or if they leave Jordy more at his usual position and um, see a great player go up against a great player. So I think that's the matchup I'm most interested in seeing this upcoming week. 
Very cool. We're going to see how that all plays out and shakes out, Nathan. Thanks so much for your time. We'll recap the game next week and uh, look forward to week three with you. Sure, as always. Thanks again for having me. Thanks to Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com for joining us here at Railbird Central. Thanks to him for joining us. Thanks to you, the listener, for joining us as we continue on with the show. I'll try to tell you, Vince, in our Packers news segment and my commentary on it and just brief little interlude here. Um, uh, No live edition of Railbird Central either Wednesday or Friday this week. I have some work commitments that are going to prevent that. But we're still putting out episodes, podcasts for you regardless, just not the live edition. So hopefully you enjoy that. And uh, we'll try to be back live as soon as possible. Um, But anyway, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Packers released Ladarius Gunter. And hopefully I'll provide some commentary you're not going to find anywhere else. Of course, the corresponding move was that the Packers activated from his one-game suspension... That is wide receiver Geronimo Allison. Uh, His suspension was for violating the league's substance abuse policy. And, of course, Geronimo Allison was activated. In my opinion, it wasn't even really a question. He had done so well as a rookie, I think he deserved it. He had done well in the preseason to deserve it. And he's basically the team's number four wide receiver and they were lacking that in the first game of the year after Jones or pardon me Nelson uh, Randall Cobb and uh, Devontae Adams either Trevor Davis or or Jeff Janis neither of them had a reception in this game I believe they both played a handful of snaps but they're really looking for that fourth wide receiver to emerge and I think Geronimo Ellison can provide them that so it made sense that they activated him. They had to make the corresponding move. They released they released Ladarius Gunter, and I'm not sure how to feel about this because it, the 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 things I'm going to talk about here, uh, I'm not sure you'll you'll hear other people express these kind of thoughts except me, and that is that. You know, if we look back to the job Ladarius Gunter did in the playoffs last year, I think everybody will remember the poor job he did in the NFC Championship game when he got burned by Julio Jones, obviously and arguably one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL. Now, that's what everybody will remember. But if we go back to just two games before that, the Packers' first playoff game in 2016, the wild card win over the New York Giants, I believe, if I'm correct, we had graded out, or you know, myself had deemed Ladarius Gunter a blue chip performer here on Railbird Central. For the job he did against a Pro Bowl wide receiver in Odell Beckham. And I don't think that's to be overlooked. I think that's, you know, very noteworthy and very commendable. And he did a great job that day. He didn't, unfortunately, keep it up. 
against uh, Des Bryant at the Cowboys and uh, Julio Jones in the Falcons. Uh, but for for that day, uh, Ladarius Gunter played very well, and there were times throughout the regular season that he played very well as well. So I, I'm wondering in my mind, should the Packers have done something differently with Ladarius Gunter? I wonder, should they have transitioned him into maybe more of a safety during the offseason in that knowing he was maybe worthy of a NFL roster spot, but maybe not at cornerback where speed is more of an issue. It's more of a concern. He didn't quite have the requisite speed to keep up with the Julio Joneses of the NFL, but maybe if they moved him to safety that he would have been okay there. And I know the Packers have certainly good depth there as well. Heck in the uh you know they right now in the starting lineup they have Haha Clint Dix and Morgan Burnett and backing them up they've got a trio of safeties between Josh Jones, Kentrell Bryce, Marwin Evans, none of whom are getting major playing time because they're behind the starters. Uh Bryce is certainly getting a little because the Packers are going with extra defensive backs on the field quite frequently. But still, uh, perhaps it could have been a situation where had Ladarius Gunter played well, maybe he could have been a trade chip when the Packers, tr- you know, trim their roster down to 53 players. I don't know, uh, but, you know, maybe they could have done more for him because at one point he did a really good job uh, against the opponent's number one wide receiver when the Packers were so beat up by injuries in the secondary last year. Uh, Thank you, Ladarius Gunter, for the contributions that you made to this team, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. The other move the Packers made on Tuesday, uh, releasing defensive lineman Ricky Jean-Francois, as uh, alluded to earlier, Um, One of the reactions I think you'll see people have to this move is that the Packers gave Francois a quarter million dollar signing bonus when they signed him during the offseason, way back, really near the start of free agency back in March, Um, back when they were, you know, questioning whether they would have Latroy Guyon for the season or not because he was facing suspension and, you know, ended up having another arrest during the offseason after that. Um, so so you understand, like, why they gave it to him, and, and you kind of look like, wow, he lasted one game, and, and now they're out that money. Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, at least they got one game out of him, and even more so than that, by a significant margin, is that you got to understand it it might seem bad that they only got one game out of him, but they got out more out of Francois than you might realize during the preseason. And it really takes on added, added significance when you look at the preseason and you're like, well, the Packers didn't want to have Mike Daniels out there for a significant amount of time. They didn't want to have Kenny Clark out there for a significant amount of time because 
These are the guys who are going to play significant snaps during the regular season, so they tried to keep them off the field as much as possible. Then you've got Dean Lowry, who even if the Packers wanted to give him extra snaps and and experience during the preseason, they really weren't able to because he got injured week one of the exhibition slate. And so he missed the next three weeks. Ricky Jean-Francois ate up a lot of snaps during the preseason, all four weeks, you know, especially, you know, they get those guys, the veterans, out early in the game. And who's in there quarters two, quarters three, before giving way to, like, the rookies, like Isa Lunford in the fourth quarter? Ricky Jean-Francois played a lot of snaps, and that meant that the guys who were contributing now, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, during the regular season, they could sit. And and that alone, I think, was worth the quarter-million-dollar signing bonus. Ideally, they would have gotten more out of him, and he would have provided a bigger impact. But all things said, you know, it wasn't the worst investment the Packers ever made. And should they have an injury down the road, this doesn't necessarily preclude them from bringing him back and re-signing him. Now, that assumes he doesn't sign with some other team, and that may happen, but uh, the Packers taking calculated calculated risk here, and perhaps the, the corresponding move they're anticipating and making, and I don't know, at the, po- at the point I'm recording this show, I've seen the Cincinnati Bengals have put on waivers Christian Ringo, previously with the Green Bay Packers, maybe the pay, the Packers want to reclaim him and get him back on the roster. Uh, obviously, that means uh, another team would not also have to put a claim on him. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. If not, the Packers have an open roster spot. they got to make a move at some point. They could promote somebody from the practice squad or sign another free agent. We'll see how it shakes out. But for now, releasing Ricky Jean-Francois, and that was the big news on Tuesday. The day ahead. Um, On Wednesday, the Packers are back to work, and they'll release their first injury report of the week. And, of course, I think people are waiting to see what this week the status of Brian Balaga is. I don't know if it'll be a whole lot different than last week when he practiced on a limited basis, but a new injury injury we're looking at on Wednesday then will be the fallout from what happened to free agent signee Ahmad Brooks. The outside linebacker suffered a concussion in his first game with the Green Bay Packers in week one. He only played a handful of snaps. We'll see if he's still in the concussion protocol on Wednesday, whether he practices or not, and what the coaching staff has to say about him. Head coach Mike McCarthy will meet the media for the first time since Monday on Wednesday and uh, see what his commentary is on Brooks and, and what's ahead for the rest of the Green Bay Packers here as they get ready for the Atlanta Falcons. And that'll do it for today's episode. A little bit shortened episode seeing as... Uh, uh, I'm a little bit impacted by work this week, but I hopefully you'll enjoy this episode, uh, even though it's no not live. And um, yeah, we'll be back again on Friday to preview this Falcons game a little bit more in depth. So thank you to Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com for being our guest on the show. 
and we look forward to talking to you more just a few days from now. So on behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Carivu. Railbird Central typically airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's a live edition of the show, podcasted and on-demand later in the day. We'll see you later, folks. Go Pack Go, and I leave you today with a song called Sirens by String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. <laughs>